Theology is a discipline. It is a science. It's like engineering. It's like mathematics. It is like um, philosophy. It's like astrophysics. It is a science. And in order to do theology proper, you need to be trained. Does theology matter today on In the Shadow of the Cross? Shadow of the Cross, Season 2. We have reached the one-year mark. Uh, We have gone through 45 episodes, and uh, here we are. We've reached one year. And so I'm here once again with uh, Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden, or Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, aren't we potty trained yet? I don't know, because you keep jumping up and running out, claiming it's your dog, but I, I don't know about that. <laughs> Actually, at my age, you don't have to be potty trained anymore. You just put on the Depends, and that's it. <laughs> right, yeah. I just claim I'm an astronaut. <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking the other day to... Uh, Someone about the Gemini capsule, which you can see they have it down in Florida, you know, at the Kennedy thing, and uh, it's tiny. And I, I said, How did two guys mm-hmm. sit in that thing? I mean, first of all, I, I want to know how do you poop, and second of all, what do you do with it when it's done? Yeah, you know, talk about that in the books. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, they don't. And that's one of the first things that comes to mind when you think, because you hear how many days or hours, you know, they're up in the thing. I mean, fortunately, know. it's zero gravity. So you're not like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could kind of make it worse because <laughs> it ain't just going down. It's going everywhere. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you stand on your head to poop. And ladies and gentlemen, when we get to our topic, why theology matters, you'll understand. (laughs) It's like, okay, everybody, welcome to season two. (laughs) I think Jim just went apoplectic on me. (laughs) Michael, we said season two, not number two. Oh, oh, my bad. Shoot, I'm sorry. All right. So anyway, we, we thought it would be cool first to open up by reflecting on... How it's been for us get the over the last year, just uh, this all came out of, in, in case you're just joining us and uh, you didn't know the story, it was actually really cool that uh, Michael had come over to to visit and he was hanging at my house. And, uh, and while he was there, Jim had called me or texted or called, I can't remember which, I think it was called, and uh, and he asked if I'd considered doing a podcast and if, if we if I would think about doing a podcast with him. And I thought, that sounds great. That would be awesome to do that. And then Michael brings up doing a podcast. And I said, that's funny that you bring that up because my friend Jim Durkin just called and, uh, and mentioned doing a podcast. And he's like, wait a minute, Jim Durkin? 
like Jim Durkin, Gospel Outreach, Jim Durkin. And uh, turned out they had connected back in the Jesus People Day and, uh, you know, were ran in some of the same circles and, and were all part of the same movement. And uh, we decided, well, let's do this together. And uh, so it was fun because uh, Jim and, and, uh, and Michael con- reconnected after decades and uh, and we just took it from there. So, so guys, what what are your reflections over the last year? Help! <laughs> He's like, That's what I was going to say. Help! <laughs> Jim's going. Well, you're in, and we're talking about poop. <laughs> you know, I ha- I have to say it's really uh, it's really interesting, and 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 the fun that we've had this last year. Um, but when I, when I first called Lauren, I had been, I had been thinking about doing a podcast for, uh, for quite some time. And Lauren has the technical skill that I don't have. But he also has the amazing ability, if you've listened to us for the last year, he has amazing ability to just keep it flowing, keep it tied together. Of course, he does the introductions, but um, he doesn't say it as often when I'm talking as he does when Michael's talking, but he he, he uses that phrase, that's interesting, <laughs> Uh, he's, he, he says that a lot with Michael, not so much with me. Oh, he does with you, Jim. <laughs> no, with Jim, I just go, wow. Wow. And then, and you do, you do that when Jim talks. You do go, wow. <laughs> and I can say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> and that's without so, drugs. <laughs> so when he, when he mentioned Michael, I was like, I, I I would be interested in exploring that, but I don't hang on that same level that Michael is. I Michael is one, you know, and he's not going to appreciate me saying this, but Michael is one of the leading theologians in in our our world today, and I'm I'm like. I'm just, uh, I, I'm the boy that he criticizes all the time. I'm the charismatic, <laughs> emotional, you know, woo, woo, you know. And, and so I've come to this place almost from the opposite direction that Michael came from it. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we've come to so many of the same convictions um, you know, as a charismatic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's easy for me to say, well, the Lord told me, you know, the Lord told me <laughs> the Holy Spirit <laughs> dropped it into my head, into my psyche, you know, and, and yet at the same time, why I appreciate being able to do this with the two of you is because a lot of things that I've sensed and considered uh, both of you also from different perspectives have been able to solidify it in my mind show me you know to actually lay it out uh, Michael line upon line here's 
why this is the way it is. And I, oh, okay, now I get it, you know. And and so I'm on a I'm on a huge learning curve, um, but I love it. And and it's a learning curve for all you charismatics out there, if there's any of you that actually still listen to us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are you foolish enough to remain? <laughs> If you're listening, you know, there's a scripture that says, uh, several places in the scripture, it says, let him who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Mm-hmm. And and I would encourage you to stop rebuking those thoughts that come up that maybe I haven't been believing the right things. Maybe there's something more here. And I would explore those something mores. And in doing that, I find that uh, so many things that I've explored, I'm finding books, I'm finding podcasts, I'm finding people, and I'm finding people like Lauren and Michael who are saying, yeah, you're really on the right track. You've really got it nailed down on this one. And we appreciate it. And here's what I can add to it. It's there's very you know you know guys in the last year, I can't remember a time that there was any kind of strong disagreement between us. No, no. a little bit of adjusting. Well, have you considered it this way or whatever? But no, no real disagreement. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jim. That's that. That's awesome. That was fantastic. Let me just real quick before we toss it over to Michael, just want to say, Jim, I, I've always loved your heart for the church. Uh, you have such a heart for the people of God and for for really um, us walking together in love for one another and bearing one another's burdens. And, and it's it's beautiful. And, and I've always appreciated that about you. And it really comes out in the I'll, I'll plug your book. It really comes out in the book that you wrote. So if you haven't <laughs> read his book, uh, Dying of thirst on the banks of the river. Uh, take a look at that. So, Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I remember. You know, when we were at your house and we had that first conversation. The we had a two-hour conversation, Zoom conversation, the three of us. Yeah. And uh, I, I was initially just extremely pleased. Um, it, it was it was fun to first of all to be able to reminisce about the Jesus movement. Uh, with somebody that was actually in the circles that that I was in, you know, out in California. And Jim and I figured out, you know, we'd been to a number of different types of summer camping type Jesus movement meetings together up up in Northern California. And uh, his father, Jim Durkin Sr., was often the um, uh, initiator of those events, or at least least the the big gun behind the scene. And he was he was also. He was also the leader that the the Jesus the the local Jesus movement leaders where we were out in in um, Central California as well as the Bay Area they looked up to to Jim's dad, uh, you know and um, and what Jim's dad he had a he had a big impact on that Northern California Jesus movement mm-hmm. and anyway it was fun to be able to reconnect because. I mean, literally, by my estimation, we may have passed each other at events, you know, and may even have said hello or something, you know, I don't know. 
but um, but to be able to reconnect now, it's like it's serendipitous in one way uh, for me, but it's also divine in other in another. The thing that that I've learned the most this past year, and I really have learned quite a bit. You guys may think I'm just you know um, pouring out information a lot of times, but I've really learned quite a bit. And one of the things that I've learned, it's really really important, is that Jim has changed my attitude toward the church just in these conversations. And, and the very fact we can have a conversation like we had last week about where I suggested, let's talk about looking at going back into the church. I would not have been able to say that had Jim not, you know, just constantly been just forcing me to just kind of deal with my issue, you know, as, as regards the institutional church. And I had to come out and admit it was my issue. You know, there's, and, and I did a lot of reframing and, and reconsidering of, of a lot of things regarding institutional Christianity this last year, thanks to Jim. Lauren, you're fun. You are, as uh, Jim said, absolutely uh, the guy that kind of holds it, the glue, you're the glue, you hold it together. But the thing that's interesting about you are the questions you bring, the types of questions mm-hmm. you bring, which were not the kinds of questions we were raising back in our day, but they are the questions of your generation. And so we're, in a sense, covering a span of two generations between us, which I thought was really quite wonderful. I have just found, you know, there's a lot of times I I end up doing things like this over the years, and it it starts to feel like work. This has never felt like work. That's that's great news to me because I I've been through the same thing where something just starts to feel like work after a while and 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 it's been with great people but there is a point where sometimes it just starts feeling like work and and Michael I just got to say to you it was interesting the first time I met you in person I I had read your book the Jesus Driven Life and then our mutual friend Steve Crosby had that gathering at his house and uh, this was in North Carolina. And I remember uh, that. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time I met you in per- in person. And it was funny because all the way back then, I remember feeling like I want to work with this guy, you know, <laughs> somehow, some way, you know, using the video skills I have, I want to work with this guy. And and sure enough, you know, here we are. So I, I think that's a, I think that's really cool that all, all three of us here together. So I, I count it and this is not just fluffing everybody's feathers. I count it a privilege to work with you both. You both are people I have greatly admired. And, uh, and so, you know, people get all enamored about celebrities and stuff. I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed that I'm working with the both of you. You both have been, I'm going to make you all big and then, but, but you've been both spiritual giants in my life. And so to, to 40 years ago, knowing that I would be here with Jim, uh, when I first read your book, knowing I'd be here with you, Michael, it's, it's, it, it amazes me every day. So I, I just, uh, I'm glad you're both in my life. So, um, talking, cheers. Uh, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> yes. I don't have Lauren, Lauren, before you go any further, um, I want to tag off of that. Uh, yesterday I was having coffee with a friend of mine and we, we were talking about, mm, celebrities in the pulpit. And I said, I think I'm going to get me a t-shirt and it's going to say on it, I was a pastor, and then a red line through that, and then underneath that, I was a prophet, and a line through that, (laughs) and underneath that, I was an apostle, and a line through that, and then on the bottom line, but I still have to pay $5 for coffee. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. (laughs) 
That's great. And that's what I think about celebrities. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. Well, so we were we thought it'd be cool to talk about why does theology matter? And Michael, what was your response when we first brought up the topic? It doesn't. All right. So can you, that's it. See you later, everybody. No. <laughs> so Michael, but, 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 okay. So, so, so right away, I'll throw the monkey wrench in. Does theology matter? No, not in terms of the way we engage the father and live our life. Does theology matter in terms of the way we engage each other in the world? Yes, it does. Okay. So first, Theology is not what I believe in. I don't believe in my theology. I don't believe in a doctrine of this or a view of that. I don't believe in any of that, or that is, I don't trust it. I know that all knowledge, all knowledge is ephemeral. All knowledge shifts and changes. That's, that's what knowledge does. It's not a place to build anything on. It's shifting sand. doesn't mean it's not important. It simply means that you can't build anything there. And, and for the gospel, trust is everything. So I trust the Father who's revealed himself in the Son by the Spirit in my heart and bada boom, bada bing. Now, does theology matter because the message that G and life that Jesus lived, the event of Jesus Christ, both what he did and who he is, what he taught, all of that is of one piece can't separate the work from the person or the teaching from the work. It's all of a piece, okay? So now, what has the church done with that? That's where theology comes in. We have a conversation about God, theologos. We are talking about God. Does theology matter here? Yes, it's life or death at that level, okay? In my relationship with God, does theology matter? God doesn't consult my theology. God has no interest in my theology. He's only interested in if my words bear faithful witness. And then he can use those, or she can use those words. That's really good, because you you articulated what I was trying to put together in my own head this morning, because I, I've had, you know, someone brought up recently about how theology just leads to arguments and stuff, so we don't need it, which, which I... I've seen that. Um, but at the same time, I've also seen how theology has healed me. Mm -hmm. And I've seen how theology has actually made me a better person. Um, that's not the case with everybody, but I know that was the case for me uh, because it it shifted. When, when I saw the Father as love, mm -hmm. it shifted that, that just first, that little piece, it was like getting the compass pointing north and all of a sudden it felt like my bearings became correct, you know, it's straight. In other words, I knew where to go, what, what I, it, in the sense of, I'm not talking perfection here. I'm talking simply, it got my orientation, right. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which shifted my stance before the father and my confidence in him and my trust in him. And mm -hmm. Lily and I were just watching, we were going through uh, Amazon the other day and there was a Christian movie on there. One of those uh, left behind movies, you know, and, and just for fun, Lily's like, let's watch it. <laughs> like, You're such a troublemaker. So I was like, okay, we'll watch it. So, but it was funny because at one part of the movie, this guy starts regurgitating all his theology basically. And, and, and I was, 
disturbed because I realized I used to think exactly like he was saying. And, and that God that he described had a dark side and that, and that God, I was like, no wonder I was so miserable. No wonder I was not a pleasant person. And I was so double-minded and, and uh, dealing with so many issues and stuff. And, and so anyway, Mm -hmm. in that sense, I realized theology does matter because I'm not that person that I was back then. And it's because of that shift in my thinking. Um, But in Mm -hmm. the sense of theology being um, about acquiring knowledge, just so I have more than you, you know, it can become a very Gnostic thing that, you know, I'm going to gain more and more knowledge and become better than, than you. And, and, uh, and then it just leads to fights and quarrels and all that kind of stuff. So I think in the sense Michael, that you were saying like on a personal level, of of how we see the father and how we interact with other human beings it does matter but in the sense of if it's just about acquiring knowledge and and competing with others and and uh, you know being being the big shot on the block kind of thing then it becomes very destructive so jim jim what are your thoughts it would be it would be easy for me to say I agree with you both and leave it at that. But but I I, I want to go into a little bit of a of a story if I if I could. Um, so for a, a couple of years now, every Friday eleven o'clock in the morning, I meet at a, at a local coffee shop here with uh, two other pastors and and sometimes one or two other guys will just kind of join in with us or whatever. And it has been every bit as much fun as this podcast is because they're all on the exact same journey and, and discovering stuff. And, you know, this morning, I'll give you an example this morning, uh, N.T. Wright's uh, book on Romans was mentioned and we we uh, at least in the circles I've traveled in, we've always heard people, even from the pulpit, talk about Romans seven as this will be a lifelong struggle that we will have. We will always be in the place of wanting to do the right thing but not doing it and and you know and wanting to refrain from the bad thing but doing it because there's sin living in us and you know and what we begin to discuss today is that N.T. Wright says in, in, in his book guys we missed the whole point Romans 7 is about the effect of the law. He starts right out by saying, I'm talking to you people who know the law, and you know what it does. And when you try and live by the law, when we've been set free, when we indeed have died to sin, what we find ourselves doing is trying to do the law but I'm powerless to do it. And so there's this struggle. And, and, and so I walked away today thinking, you know, next time I hear some guy say, you know, I'm living right in the middle of Romans 7, I'll say, well, then you need to stop trying to live up to the law. <laughs> you, know, uh, right? yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and then you won't be there. You'll actually get to 
you'll actually get to Romans 8, where there's no condemnation. Why? Because you're in the spirit. And there's and, no and law. There's no law. He took it out of, you know. And, and and so I don't want to get into theology, but so the three of us have been No, we're just together. asking why theology matters. <laughs> well, exactly. So the three of us get together, and so we decide, you know what? We all know a lot of people. Well, not necessarily all know a lot, but we all know some people who are also in various stages of some would call it deconstruction. Others mm -hmm. would just say, you know, rethinking the things mm -hmm. they've been taught. Mm -hmm. And why don't we just start a, 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 a open up a, a, to let people come together and ask their questions with the promise that we're not going to slam religious answers down your throat, you know, we're going to explore with you. We're going to walk with you. So a few weeks ago, we were getting ready to have our first one of those kind of gatherings. And one of the guys said, Jim, why don't you just put it out on Facebook and do an open invitation to anybody who wants to come? And I said, okay, well, okay, sure, why not? So who shows up? a room full of religious people ready to, you know, help out all these poor suckers who are questioning things. Oh, no. So a statement was made that there are very, very few absolutes. One absolute is that God is absolutely love. Another absolute is Jesus is the Son of God. And it was kind of, the discussion was kind of left right there. Everything else is up for your understanding. And one of these religious people immediately, oh, so the virgin birth isn't an absolute? So, God created the heaven and the earth in six days as an absolute? So, Jesus died for my sins as an absolute? And, and it just started getting almost antagonistic. And I just kept saying, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, the virgin birth isn't an absolute? No. You know? And it, it's like, so anyhow, we've had two more of those meetings since, and those people didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that when I say, when a person says, so the virgin birth is not an absolute, and I say no, what I'm saying is, that if you don't believe in that, you you think the, the virgin birth might be a myth, it isn't, you're, you're not believing in the virgin birth is not going to keep you out of heaven. It's not going to even keep you from the love of God. 
It's not going to keep you from the grace and the mercy of our Lord. Uh, you know, it's like, well, I would like to love you, and I'd like to show you my grace and my mercy, but you don't believe that my mother was a virgin, so I, <laughs> I'm holding it all back from you. You know, it, it's okay if you're not there. And, and, and so I would have to say that so much of what we call theology really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it, 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 I don't know if there was a flood that covered the whole earth or if it just covered a region of the earth that they called the earth because that's all they knew at the time. I, I don't know. I don't know, uh, you know, about a Big Bang or six days or, or evolution or any of that stuff. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on all of it, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that if you look at the six days of creation, what was created on each day, and you stop thinking in terms of 24 hours, and you start thinking of periods of time, uh, then it kind of lines up with what evolutionists talk about, about, you know, the fossils that have been found and the aging and the dating and, you know, that is millions of years. And maybe we just called it a day. So you've got sea life and, and you know, on, on the first day or whatever, and, and, the second day, you got some animals on the on the planet, and but maybe it was a two or three million years in between that, and we just called it a day. I I don't know, and I don't think it really matters. Um, I know Michael knows he's he's got it all figured out. Probably getting ready to write a book about it, but uh, <laughs> but I don't think it matters. <laughs> so there, as I used to say, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I, I well, really, uh, oh, go ahead, Michael. I, I just want to know before I stick it in my pipe, is a sativa or an indica? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of theology do we have here? One that's going to keep me energized or one that's going to put me to sleep? <laughs> right. <laughs> Does it help me deal with my pain? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's actually a good point, though. Um, and and uh, and Jim, I really enjoyed listening to you because um, that was uh, it, it's because that's really the bottom line is it's like how does this help me love my neighbor? How how does this help me receive right. the love of the Father? How, how does right. help how does this help me understand better uh, the the love of Jesus? You know, it, it's like when it comes down to the things that really matter, that's, that's really what it comes down to is, is, um, you know, does this belief really, really affect us as a human species? You know, um, there are things that do like the love of the father, loving my neighbor, caring for others, bearing one another's burdens. But then there's things that they're, they're kind of the playground, you know, uh, to, to play in like, like you were just doing uh, speculating about, you know, the uh, creation or, or Noah's Ark. Those, those to me, those, those are play areas. But they don't, they don't, like you said, they're not absolutes. They're not things that, 
that really affect how we treat one another. And, and to me, that's, that's what it comes down to is, is where theology matters is, is, is it helping me love others better and know my father better? Or is it pulling me away from that? Is it a distraction from that? And, and that's to me, the difference between good theology and bad theology is, is it helping me take the burden off somebody? Is there, is, is there somebody who there's bad theology and I do mean it in bad um, is, is distorting their view of the father. Are they seeing the father father is tyrannical and, and vicious or having a dark side? And, and so it's bogging them down and hurting mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, then theology matters. Cause then it's, you know, that person needs to get untangled. They need to get unwound from, from what's tripping them up. Um, but yeah, I, I love how you started that meeting of these are the absolutes and it was very few. And then, uh, and then the rest is, up for grabs. I, I think that's awesome. So, Lauren, today our uh, our friend uh, Nate Turney uh, put a put a post on, it, and I replied to that post about how so many people. The minute you start talking about the love of God and and us loving one another, especially if you tie nonviolence to that. Mm-hmm. They immediately want to go to, but Jesus drove the, the you know, money changers you know, out of the temple. Money changers out of the temple, which he didn't do. But you know, Jesus called Peter Satan, which he didn't do. You know, and 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 it's like, and the Bible talks about the wrath of God, and the Bible talks about fearful things that fall in the hands of the living God, and. And, you know, uh, and, and you replied to a comment that, uh, that I had made and added to it. Uh, you got two people that replied to your comment. None of them replied to mine, but uh, <laughs> I didn't notice the replies. I'll have to look, <laughs> but at any rate, I, I find it, isn't it strange that when you talk about love, the very thing that Jesus said is the way the world is going to know that we're his disciples, okay? He told us that we need to love each other the way he loved us. We're told that God is love. People want to, like, oh, you're talking flowers and butterflies. You're talking kissy, kissy stuff. You're talking, you know, a daisy in every rifle, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Michael and I are old enough to remember that. Oh, yes, sir. (laughs) Hey, I saw the Kent State movie. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and, and, and it's like, why... The greatest thing in the whole world is love. The love of the Father, the love that we have the ability to manifest to each other through the power of Christ. Why is that so disparaged and violence and wrath and, you know... um, if you, if you want an answer to that, listen to the last 45 uh, podcasts that we did last year because we talked <laughs> we talked all around that issue. But 
But is, isn't that an insane thing that people who claim to be followers of Christ make fun of love? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And and yeah, my comment on that was that I had somebody one time say when I was talking about Jesus being nonviolent stuff, they said, they said, I don't follow no marshmallow Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, really? It, 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 so you're, you're saying that it, that having the strength to not resort to violence means you're weak. It's like, try not responding in hate. Try not resorting to violence. It's weak people who actually do those things because that's yep. the immediate response of the flesh yep. to anything is yep. violence, hatred, spouting off. Have somebody tell you off and bite your tongue. That takes more strength than retaliating. So, yeah, it just it blows my mind that it's like that the, the Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived to, to the death that he endured and to not retaliate, not even one word. I mean, yeah. Good grief. I mean, I, I had an employee disagree with me this week and it took everything in me and it was a minor thing just to not bite back. Right. You know, he, he wasn't even being violent or vicious or anything. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> so, yeah. So that's why it, it just blows my mind that when people disparage, disparage <clears throat> love and and it just like but but, you know, Jesus said the road is narrow and few are those that find it. You know, the there way of peace, go. it's very, very few find it you know proper proper application of that scripture exactly yeah i would want to suggest two things um about about our conversation one is um what constitutes so-called theological conversation between any two average christians um is not theology okay it's um, opinions mm-hmm. mixed with mm-hmm. um, bad assumptions and false presuppositions and wrong conclusions. When any two lay people get together to discuss God, that's what you're going to get. Okay, um, that is not theology. Um, first of all, second, theology is a discipline. It is a science. It's like engineering, it's like mathematics, it is like um, philosophy, it's like astrophysics, it is a science. And in order to do theology proper, you need to be trained. Just as you have to be trained to be an engineer or anything else, you have to learn the words, the vocabulary, the structures, the history, you know, the applications, the impacts. You have to learn everything you can about any discipline you're engaged in. And the same is true with theology. So I don't recognize on Facebook, I don't, people say we're having theological conversations and I just laugh. I say, no, you're, you're basically sitting there bullshitting each other with how much you think you know, but you really don't. <laughs> um, so theology proper for me, I, I think, uh, has, a, has quite a different, place than than it would for the average christian for me theology has one i'm very bartian here the role of theology is to bring discipline to the pulpit in other words it is the pastors that need to be engaging theology and they need to be engaging it in such a way that it engages them in tempers and bounds their preaching It says, here are the fences. This is the area within which you preach. This is the gospel. Beyond the fences, we don't go. 
It's just kind of, that's what theology does. It says, these are the things that can be asserted about, about God, God's work in history, yada, yada, yada. These are the, that we can work with these, but these other things that are completely speculative or whatever you want to critique them for being, they don't belong in the conversation. The second thing is, if you're going to do theology, it requires an education. And you, so Dietrich Rischel in his book, um, The Logic of Theology, said that before any person should teach theology in a seminary, okay, uh, and you, they don't, you don't teach theology in university or college. You teach religion, okay? Mm-hmm. That's different than theology. So it's, you know, it's only in a divinity school or a, you know, a seminary you're going to get theology proper. He said, before anybody teaches theology, they need to spend 10 years teaching the New Testament and patristics. And you cannot understand the New Testament apart from the early church and patristics. There is a development. There is a lot of issues involved. There's a lot of understanding and relation. There's a lot of stuff in there. But until you spent a decade working the texts of the early fathers and the New Testament, and you've you've learned to read Greek, you've learned to exegete texts. You've you know until you've done that for ten years. Then, then you move on to church history, and you spend ten years teaching church history. Right, early church, antiquity, Middle Ages, Reformation, Enlightenment, and then twentieth century postmodern. Then, after you've done, you've spent your twenty years doing that. Then he says you're ready to teach theology. And I, I have to say, in my lifetime, I have watched the, 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 the degradation of the discipline of theology to a degree that I did not think was possible. Um, it's been a grief for me in my lifetime to watch, uh, I live in America, we all live in America, to, to watch the American Protestant tradition wholesale throw out exegesis, theology, hermeneutics. I, they, they've thrown it all out. And, and instead, they've accepted a bowl of porridge that's full of litmus tests and protocols and political correctnesses. So that's the first thing I'd want to say. Pastors are the ones that need to be engaging in theology, and they shouldn't be doing it if they have not been educated. So do I think education is a requirement to ascend a pulpit? You're damn straight I do. However, having said that, does that mean that the Spirit doesn't work in the church and that the Spirit doesn't give words to people? Spirit absolutely does that. And a healthy congregation that's oriented toward what we used to call back in the days from Ray Stedman, body life, a a healthy congregation is going to have both voices. But it will be that pulpit voice that, in a sense, shows where the fences of the conversation are for the congregation. Because the pulpit voice, the preacher, has been doing the hard theological work to discern those fences. Now, is the virgin birth offense? You know, 
um, are we obligated to believe in the virgin birth? If you affirm the Nicene Creed, you are in one way or another affirming the virgin birth. Now, I think the Nicene Creed is, uh, to, to use our metaphor from earlier today, I think it's the big poop, you know? I love the Nicene Creed. I love the logic behind it and everything. Now, do I do I have to accept, A, the virgin birth as it's understood today and its role, or, or, if I go back into the early church and I follow someone like, for example, Hans von Kappenhausen, who has demonstrated that the virgin birth narrative in the early church is never used to prove Jesus' divinity, which it is now. In the early church, it was used to prove his humanity. Mm-hmm. Well, now I can be an affirmer of the virgin birth because I am setting it with what I think is a proper hermeneutical frame, Right? Yeah. So, so in that sense, now there's a fence there. Do I have to believe the virgin birth proves the divinity of Jesus? No, I don't. No, I don't have to use it that way. I can use it another way, you know? Um, so does that make kind of sense to, to you guys? About it where, makes where a lot of sense. Things? Yes. It, it does. Because here's the thing, here's the thing I love about what you said that that has been Chocolate missing and, and i yeah and i uh, michael's eating michael's eating chocolate while we're on the, on here but uh, the, cho- the, the chocolate munchies will get you any time of day oh yeah but but the thing i love is that you just you approached you looked at teaching from a far more elevated position in the sense of elevating the the importance of teaching um then then a than where I've seen it held in a long time. And what I mean is in my childhood, I remember hearing, um, I, I asked uh, my parents, I said, why, why does a pastor have to go to seminary? And they said, well, if you're going to have a doctor working on you, you want him to be trained on how to do it. And they said, you, if, if a pastor needs to go, cause they're, they're, working with people's spirits they're working with with people's lives and they need to be trained on how to do that and uh, and of course that came out because my my grandfather was a, a pastor who'd been to seminary and my and and then I have an uncle on my dad's side so both sides of the family you know that was very much a, a belief but that was back in the 70s you know so that was very prominent and now th- th- there was like a high view of of the importance that you're playing when you're teaching that now it's kind of you know it, it's a lot like whatever i feel like saying i say and whatever i see in the bible i i i preach but but then it was like we're dealing with people's lives and and we're dealing with the truth what we're saying is the truth we better <laughs> i'm gonna say it strongly we better damn well make sure we got this right because we don't want to screw up people were, and and there was a they, they took that passage in James about teachers very seriously mm-hmm. about that it mm-hmm. was you know that they're under stricter judgment that that you need to make sure that you because you're you're dealing with people and and I don't think yeah. that verse is I don't think the father has taken that away you know he's got oh now it's the late now now we're in the 21st century so eh, it doesn't matter that, that, that's still that still applies it's just that as a culture, and and as a Christian community, we've kind of lost that. And and I'm sitting here thinking about that of how beautiful that would be to reacquire that sense of of 
a preciousness of bringing that before people and that I, and, and, and it's becoming, what's funny is it's the opposite of what we think. It's becoming a child again, because a child knows they don't have it all. And so a child is in a constant state of learning. And, uh, and, and what Jesus, what I see Jesus saying is you you need to stay in a place of being a lifelong learner. And, and that's when you go into seminary, if you go in the sense of that, I don't have this down, I have a lot to learn. I think that's the place that we need to be approaching it with instead of I got this down, so I don't need seminary. I'm going to go right into the pulpit. I don't need any kind of training. I don't need to read anything. You know, I've, I've got this down. The other thing that I really appreciate what you shared is, is, you know, my, my discipline is, is film and video and TV mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm working on my master's and I'm taking a screenwriting course. And one of the things that's really interesting is I recognized my weaknesses before I took that course. I was very excited to take it because I'm very bad at the formatting. And this class really focuses on the formatting. And and so just the same as with theology, there is a discipline with screenwriting that you have to acquire if you're serious about going into the film industry. If you if you submit a script and, and you don't follow the format and you don't follow certain that just like you said, there are boxes around these things. There are there are um, things you have to do and, and the, the way you write and stuff has to be a certain way or they'll just toss it out. They won't they won't read it. And and so I was thinking of, it, it, it made what you said, Michael, that much more real to me where I'm going. Yeah. Where is that in the Christian community? It's in it's in the film community. It's in the medical community. It's like but it's being lost, not completely, but it's been being lost in the in the Christian community, and I think that would be a beautiful thing to reacquire. The um, <clears throat> I just want to throw something here is that um, I'm not certain, Jim, about your story, so don't don't steal my thunder here. Forget, but as far as I know, you didn't go to a seminary, you know, and um, and so then the question is, can you do theology? And the answer is, we we've been doing theology together for a year. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so is Lauren. He's not been to seminary. Right. So what makes this different, this conversation different, than say the stuff that's out there on Facebook or other podcasts? What makes what we're doing here different is that we have intentionally chosen a very specific frame to use. We have chosen Jesus of Nazareth as the revealer of the Father, and we recognize straight up front that love is not transactional, it's not retaliatory, it is not violent. We write, write straight up front. That's what makes this podcast different. And the theological thinking we do then is bounded by that. That's our fence. Mm-hmm. And we have an awful lot of territory to move in right? because that, that fence, it, it, it's, it, it, if, we, if we reach it, it, it's it's not an electric fence. It's not going to harm us. It's it's almost like um 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 a rubber fence. It'll bounce us back toward the middle, or back yeah. to where we need to be in that sense. And I've really enjoyed that about this. And so I would not want to say that regular folks can't engage in good theological conversation. So, for example, I know of several Karl Bart reading groups. Mm-hmm. These are intelligent, mature adults reading Bart together, and I'm positive that that is good theological discussion. There are good Bible studies going on around, around you know, the, some kitchen tables in America. I mean, they're good because the, the people that are leading them are thoughtful. They've read, they've struggled. 
Um, and I want to throw in one last point. Uh, this is Martin Luther. There is no theology without suffering. And the theologian who hasn't suffered is no theologian at all. And so if you've got a theology and you're up there and you're preaching from a stage or a pulpit and your life has been relatively easy, you, you know, you had a decent life, you went to school you, or you got married, had kids, went to school. And now you're a pastor in a church and things are moving along and your salary is increasing, your church is growing. If you're preaching at that point and you haven't suffered, you have no gospel. Because the gospel is the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the Bible is to teach us how to suffer. Mm-hmm. And without suffering, there is no gospel. Mm-hmm. And if so, so I want to say what we need to do with our, we, we, we each congregation, each congregation has someone in it that has the intellectual capacity and the emotional maturity, and they need both. Okay. You don't want to just send your most intellectual person to seminary. If they're emotionally immature, they'll just come back to you as a whack job. (laughs) Somebody that's intellectually competent, emotionally stable, you send that person. Okay. And then they do their three, four years. When they come back, I would argue that, There should be in the educational apparatus the ability for that person to consistently take one online course a term, doing two or three online courses a year for the rest of their time that they are, quote, in that position. And the congregation pays for it. They pay for that person's time. They're honoring that. And now they have someone who knows that they can keep learning, and they have someone who's who's being sponsored by that community, so that they have now a responsibility and an obligation to share what they're learning in that community. And that community can also function to help that person from going off the rails. Okay? Yeah. Because sometimes, sometimes theology... You know, you're doing theology and you're driving down those tracks at 80, 100 miles an hour and you look way ahead about three miles and you see the bridge is blown out. And you're going intellectually, oh, no, uh-oh, uh-oh, wait, oh, you know, and it can it can create faith crises and these kinds of things. And the community at that point then undergirds the quote unquote theologian of the con- congregation and helps them bear their dark night of the soul and they continue to grow in wisdom and grace i don't know do you see what i'm saying kind of as a model yeah yeah i i do um and yeah. and what i see you and what i hear you saying though is basically um we should be approaching um teaching with the same seriousness that the public schools approach it you know, well, we should be approaching it with far more seriousness than the right. public schools. <laughs> right. No, but yeah, what I mean, mean yeah, by let's go, <laughs> let's go a little further in that one. Let's, let's yeah, go, Brandon. No, no, <laughs> right. But what I, what I meant by that, just to clarify, because I, I did, as soon as I said those words, I went, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> what I meant by that was in the public school system, at least when I taught in yeah. Texas, you were expected to 
take a course, uh, so many courses every year to keep your learning current. Current, mm-hmm. you were mm-hmm. supposed to uh, stay at a. Uh, uh, they wanted you to be a lifelong learner, so they wanted you yeah. to continually be learning. They, of course, they had courses they required you to take before you could even enter the classroom, and right. then, um, and then they had throughout the year they would have the teachers get together and have times of training on campus. So, in other words, I'm not talking the. Uh, you know, I'm not saying we need to be the public education system, but what I'm saying is, is I I would look at that and I would go, isn't this interesting? I'm watching public school teachers put all that have to do all this work and stuff to teach. And I'm going, and yet most pastors don't even know the basics of teaching just, just because it is a skill set. There are Mm -hmm. certain skills that are required to be a good teacher, to have help your audience pay attention and keep them engaged and that kind of thing. And, and I think that would be a very good thing for somebody to have that. Plus I love the idea of the church sponsoring courses for people to keep going. Um, So it's not their burden to have to carry it where Mm -hmm. they, they're able to stay, you know, to keep learning and growing. Yeah, your, your, your bigger denominations require pastors to do some sort of continuing ed. However, I'm going to tell you right now, most of it's bullshit. Yeah. Most of what gets accredited by denomination. I mean, a pastor can take a little cheesy one-day, mm-hmm. four-hour Saturday seminar on walking a labyrinth with St. Teresa of Avila, and that fulfills her continuing ed requirement. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, are you serious? Right. You know? So... Sitting here listening to uh, to you, Michael and, and Lauren, uh, there's just a myriad of thoughts been going through my my head. Uh, one of them kind of humorous, but <laughs> there there was something you something you said earlier. Uh, you were talking about the the person who fills the pulpit being a true theologian one who has been thoroughly equipped and trained and he knows the parameters, he knows the boundaries and whatever. And, 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 and then you referred to uh, kind of the, you know, the, the friendship gatherings, you know, that go on, you know, and mm-hmm. where we, we dialogue about what we're wrestling with. You know, mm-hmm. we, we read a scripture and we're thinking, you know, wow, I never quite saw it that way before. And maybe it's like this. And when you said that, I, 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 I know it's a terrible, terrible, uh, you know, uh, taken out of context scripture, <laughs> but it, it's, but you're going to do it anyway, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and it, it's a scripture that, that, that says that there was in Antioch certain teachers and prophets and it's like i kind of see it that way is like there's the teachers who are i mean they're enmeshed in the word they, they you know they're the theologians and then there's and, and then there's the prophets the guys who are getting these downloads you know and it's like today i got a download and it's this and i throw it out there and tomorrow i say man that I think I puked yesterday. <laughs> you know, I thought I had a download. It, it wasn't what I thought it was. It was just a turd. <laughs> I knew you were going there, and I was trying to keep away from that. 
Well, but, good luck, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but but at any rate, I think those conversations are are fun uh, to speculate and to well, is it possible it's this way? It's a but if you bring the theologian, the teacher, into those conversations, then he or she can can help to shape that thinking. There is another way that if, you know, I'm 73 years old. I don't have the 20 years you're talking about to invest. But many years ago, probably close to 40 years ago, I started a process of if I read something in Scripture and it 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 kind of started speaking to me about something I, I I had never thought in those terms before. I would go and I would find every book I could possibly find on that subject to see what people through the ages have written on that subject. And Sometimes I would read a whole book and somewhere in the middle of it was one sentence that rang true and the whole rest of the book was garbage. (laughs) But there was that one sentence there. And other times it would be the whole book. I would just consume the whole book. And, And so that has been a practice of mine now for almost 40 years. And, and, and so this last year, I have read on Kindle in an in a actual book holding in my hand, listened to on audiobook, at least 100 books in this last year. And nice. Mi- oh, at least. And, and, wow. and many of them are books or authors that one of the two of you have mentioned on this podcast. And I said, oh, there's an author's name I haven't heard. Let's go check him out. And I am um, don't claim to be a theologian on one level. On, on another level, I'm getting there mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. because I'm listening to, you know, Barth and Simone Weil, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm listening mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. And, and and some of the more modern, you know, Bradley Jerzak and, and you, Michael, and, and others alike. And I'm listening to them, and I'm, what are these, what are these men and these women who have done the time, done the research? What are these voices saying? And, and and I think I would want to hand to my uh, charismatic friends that the Holy Spirit is in books that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. There's some wisdom in there. The, the Holy Spirit is in textbooks that are used in seminaries. There, you know... And, and, you know, and, and, and I'm sorry for the years that I and others 
like me, made fun of the intellectuals, you know, because you're right, Michael, we need them. We need you. Uh, we, we need to hear what the people who have done the work to learn where those boundaries are, uh, what they have to say. We need to hear their voice. And, and, and yet, at the same time, we also need the conversations, if you will, of the prophetic people, the people that are getting downloads, because sometimes in those, I sometimes realize, hey, there's some wisdom in what's being said in this conversation, real wisdom. And other times I say, you know, I thought that same thing, but when I'm hearing this brother over here say that, it sounds pretty ridiculous. I'm glad, <laughs> you know, I've processed that, and now we can move on, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's where so much of the, um, of why the teaching, the grounding that comes from teaching is so important, because it, it kind of becomes that compass, if you will, where it's like, mm -hmm. if you are going to share something, you kind of know okay, is this in the boundaries of what we understand in the sense of this is what the father is like, this is what it is to walk with him. And it, it reigns us in from the out, the crazy out there stuff, you know, cause it, it be, it yeah. grounds us if you will. So it, it helps somebody who thinks I'm getting a download. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Now that's kind of out there in the ozone layer. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't match anything here. Or on the other hand, no, this, this goes right along with the father being loved right along with, with loving my neighbor and you know, whatever, you know, we're talking about the boundaries are, sure. then we go, okay, that's, this is okay. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not predicting who's president or, you know, whatever, you know, so <laughs> Anyway, let's well, go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither of you saw my Facebook post today, did you? No, sir. Uh, no. So there is a book out. It is available on Amazon, at Walmart, at Abe Books, at Goodreads, and it is entitled. Um, Trump, Son of Man, the Christ. Oh my gosh! Yes, wow. I have. I have seen this book. Um, I I didn't buy it. Oh, I good. Didn't buy it. I, I'm well. I'm tempted to buy it. I actually am. <laughs> is is that um, part of your lifelong learning? <laughs> yeah right sometimes it's better the devil you know than the one you don't yeah it's true um jim can i can i please riff on that for a moment we asked the question at the beginning does theology matter and i said yes and no and i gave context if Christianity in the if 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 the early church uh, oh michael had, i'm sorry we're we're out of time <laughs> you turkey <laughs> really go um, ahead if, go ahead <laughs> if the only church had really wanted to do what it needed to do well what would 
It's the fast talker. (laughs) Okay, so the early church, instead of, um, and and I'm not faulting them. You can't fault the early church. You can't, people only know what they know. You know what I mean? Right. 500 years from now, people are going to come back and say, Hardin's theology sucks. You know, he didn't, Mm -hmm. but but those that are honest are going to say he was a person of his time and therefore he made these contributions. But okay. So I'm not, I'm, I have to just caveat that. Had they not fallen into Gnosticism, okay, where knowledge became the base for the Christian faith, had they not fallen into that, Theologia would have become what it was meant to be. Now, Logos is the word, uh, word, deed, act, opinion okay Hmm. um when we do theology and we bring glory doxa opinion to god we acknowledge this is true about god then theology is worship okay theology and liturgy and worship all belong together. That's that's the other thing I really want to say here is that there's no such thing as an abstract theology like the mm-hmm. Protestant tradition has tried to do. And the Catholic tradition and the Orthodox tradition in this sense are far superior to the Protestant tradition. But we must hold liturgy and theology uh, uh, together. And the third, the third thing I would put in there is catechesis. We don't do catechesis. We mm-hmm. we do discipleship programs, which basically right. means we're going to teach you the rules. Right. Don't do this. Don't do that. Okay, that's discipleship. That's not discipleship. But if you keep these three things together, teologia, catechesis, and liturgia, liturgy, theology, and discipleship, now you have a community that can actually be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, because they are listening mm-hmm. and they're listening mm-hmm. together and they're listening to one another and they're listening to one another together. And those, this is where the spirit just becomes beautiful working amongst us in checks and balances. And there were times we literally experienced that in the Jesus movement. It yes. was amazing. It was amazing. You could be in a group that all of a sudden there was the debate about an issue and all of a sudden somebody said something and you could see things getting resolved. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, I'm not going to say it was miraculous, but it almost felt like it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, that's good. Fantastic. Great, great place to wrap it up on. So everyone, thanks for tuning in this week. Are we still in season two telling people where they can find your stuff? Uh, well, if we are, uh, we're kind of wasting our time because if they haven't uh, found our stuff by now, why, uh, they never will. Okay. If, if you want uh, either Jim's book or Michael's stuff, go listen to a previous podcast. You'll find out where to get it. Well, amen. <laughs> All right, everyone. Do thanks. the work. Do the work. Yes. All right, guys. <laughs> thanks for tuning it's... in, everybody, and we'll talk to you all next week.